Welcome to The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig, a podcast which endeavors to expose the truth behind legal stories that are distorted by mainstream media. And now, here's your host, passionate truth seeker and veteran attorney, Jill Rosenzweig. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig. I'm your host, Jill Rosenzweig. And today I want to talk to you about hate crimes in the United States. It's an area of law that is somewhat confusing, and I wanted to go over it with you in light of recent attacks on various places of worship in this country. Most recently, this past weekend, there was a 19-year-old young man who is being accused of shooting four people at a synagogue in Poway, California, which is a suburb just north of San Diego. Uh, He apparently showed up at the synagogue on the final day of Passover, and he shot and killed a 60-year-old woman who jumped in front of the rabbi to save the rabbi's life. Uh, He wounded the rabbi as well as a 34-year-old man and an 8-year-old girl. Um, The rabbi was speaking to congregants in the lobby of the synagogue when the gunman opened fire, and apparently he fled the scene after that, and ultimately he surrendered to the authorities. Uh, It turned out that there's now, um, it's been discovered that this young man, John Ernest, posted a 4,000-word anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and white supremacist manifesto that he wrote and published on a right-wing white supremacist website before the shooting took place. And in that post, he stated that he would be live streaming the attack, but no video of the shooting has since emerged. Um, And there was also a Facebook page that he had linked to that post that's been deactivated since then. And so I wanted to explain to you that The laws with respect to hate crimes in the United States are state-specific, and so each state has its own set of laws. And um, I'm going to link to this document that was prepared by the NAACP where you can actually look up the state that you live in if you live in the U.S., um, and see how your specific state works when it comes to hate crimes. Um, So... In, for example, California, where this most recent incident occurred, um, California has very expansive hate crime laws, um, probably the most expansive in the country. Um, There are a couple that may be equal, but really um, California is right up there. And so California has um, laws that criminalize hate crimes generally. And then they also have a concept where if you commit something that's a crime in this country, but it's determined that it was motivated by some sort of prejudice or bias against specific protected groups, then the penalty that you'll receive for having committed that crime will be enhanced. So you will get a longer sentence or a greater fine. Um, There will be some sort of extra penalty that is imposed because the crime that you committed was motivated by hate. And so in California, uh, there's a crime of interfering with religious worship. And then there are also penalties 
that are um, enhanced for crimes that are motivated by race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, disability, political affiliation, and age. Um, And so that's California. But then if you look at, for example, um, Indiana, Indiana has no hate crimes at all, uh, nor does Wyoming, uh, Utah, um, and a couple of other states have absolutely no hate crimes whatsoever. And then there are others that are sort of somewhere in between. And so I think it's important to note that depending upon where the uh, hate crime is committed, in some places, it won't be considered an issue at all. There will be no penalty whatsoever. And in other places, there will be very harsh penalties. Um, And so when you look at uh, California, just because that's where this most recent attack on the synagogue occurred, um, it's important to just, I'll give you an example of, first of all, how it's determined to, um, you know, how, how it's determined as to whether or not the crime that you've committed is considered a hate crime. And so um, in California, if you commit a crime and a substantial factor in your motive for the criminal act was targeting a person or a group of people because of their race, religion, ancestry, gender, sexual orientation, skin color, disability, national origin, gender identity. It's considered a hate crime. And so it's important to understand that it, it needs to be a substantial factor in your motive. It doesn't have to be the only motive. So if you have multiple motives for attacking someone, that's okay. It, w- it could still be considered a hate crime as long as your hate of that particular group is a substantial factor and how uh, it's determined as to whether or not it's a substantial factor is really determined by the jury who looks at what your motivations were and has to weigh out how much you were motivated by hate. And so uh, the burden is on the prosecution to prove that it was a substantial factor in motivating you in committing the crime that you committed, um, but that's really the the analysis. And so uh, the prosecution has the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that a substantial factor in committing the crime was an intention to interfere with an individual's or a group's civil rights. And hate crimes in California are aggressively prosecuted. Um, you know, in addition to a criminal conviction, you can also be sued in civil court. So if you're sued in civil court for a crime that you were convicted of, uh, your conviction itself establishes liability. And then the only remaining issue in terms of a civil case will be how much damages uh, the victim will be rewarded. Um, and so when you look at why it's important for uh, there to be a determination that a crime is not just a normal crime, but it's also a hate crime, is the additional punishment that you'll receive. So um, if you, in California, if you kill somebody and it's proven that your motive was that the person, um, you know, it, it was based on the person's race or color, religion, nationality, country of origin, etc., it's considered a special circumstance, and the punishment could be the death penalty or life without parole. Um, and if you commit 
a felony, for example, and it's proven that your motive was to commit a hate crime, you could receive an additional one to three years in prison. Um, if you commit a felony hate crime with another person, so it's kind of um, a coordinated um, act against people of a specific group, the enhanced punishment could be an additional two to four years in prison. And if you use a firearm to commit a felony hate crime, the firearm is an aggravating factor, and it will also be considered sentencing. Um, So there are these additional time periods in which you would be sentenced if if it's determined that the crime that you committed was motivated by hate. And that's why it's important to you know, to recognize when a crime rises to the level of it being a hate crime as opposed to just treating it like a normal crime. Um, And so when I talk about the fact that the determination of whether or not something's a hate crime is different depending upon what state you live in, that's why there's an importance there. So some people um, in the political sphere will argue that there's really no reason to um, parse out a crime versus a hate crime and that if someone commits a crime, they're punished accordingly and it really makes no difference as to whether or not it's motivated by hate. But by showing you you know, what we just discussed, it, it, it does make a difference because there are these additional penalties that apply when it's determined that someone is motivated by hate. And so the counter argument to people saying, well, there's really no need to have specific hate crimes. Well, yes, there should be, because the idea behind there being these additional penalties is to create a greater deterrence in trying to stop these acts of hate in this country, which are becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and we're, we're seeing that in the news. I mean, there's there have been attacks against churches, mosques, and synagogues. Um, th- there's a rise in those types of situations, um, not just in the United States, but uh, across uh, various countries in the world. And, um, you know, when we look at the laws uh, in various states in this country, you can see that there are a lot of states that really don't have very many hate crime laws at all. Um, and so uh, the other thing to look at is the federal response to hate crimes. And there is a history of this. So there, you know, there was initially the Civil Rights Act, but in 2009, there was a new law that was enacted that's really made quite a difference. And it seems like um, the federal prosecution is really relying very heavily on this new uh, law that was enacted by Barack Obama in 2009. It's called the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. And that law really changed things in that now, uh, before this law was enacted, the only time the federal prosecution could get involved is was if there was a hate crime that was uh, carried out when the victim was engaged in a federally protected activity, such as voting. Now, the new act, this act that was enacted in 2009, says that the victim does not have to be engaged in a federally protected activity for this law to apply. So at this point, the victim could be engaged in any activity whatsoever as long as someone does something criminal to them 
um, and that crime was motivated by hate, this federal law now applies and there can be federal charges placed against someone who commits an act like that. So going back to this incident that took place exactly six months prior to what happened this weekend in San Diego, um, this attack at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, the man that was charged with killing 11 people at the Tree of Life Synagogue was, in January, was charged with um, a bunch of new charges of hate crimes because the federal prosecutors discovered that there were three posts that were made by Bowers uh, who um, posted in a website called Gab in the two weeks leading up to the shooting in October of 2018. Um, He posted um, comments such as Jews are the children of Satan. And the posts that he made are now providing the evidence necessary to elevate his crimes to hate crimes under the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. So he was actually, uh, there was a new indictment in January adding 13 charges under that act. And so um, under that same act, there was a similar legal tactic that was taken by federal prosecutors in South Carolina to charge and later convict 24-year-old Dylan Storm Roof of shooting and killing nine people at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown uh, Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. Federal prosecutors in Virginia also used that law to charge 21-year-old James Alex Fields, who um, was uh, accused of being a young neo-Nazi sympathizer, and he intentionally rammed his car into a crowd of counter-protesters and killed a woman after the racist Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, took place in August 2017. Um, From a state perspective, he was charged with first-degree murder, but from a federal perspective, he was charged with hate crimes. And so, um, you know, the reason why... The difference here is, you know, again, if you look at the state laws, there are a lot of states that don't have hate crime laws. uh, But then when you turn to the federal laws, the the federal prosecution has greater latitude in charging people with hate crimes because of this law that was enacted in 2009. Um, The problem. So you might say to yourself, well, if there are these federal laws who cares if there are state laws in place because the federal laws will take care of these things? Well, you know, that in theory makes sense. However, the problem is that in not every case will the federal prosecution get involved. So you want to see states have their own laws in place to uh, punish people who are committing hate crimes. And that's why In looking at the chart that I will provide a link to, if you look at your state and you see that there are a lot of categories in which people are not protected from hate crimes, for example, um, there are not that many states that protect people um, from being the victims of hate crimes based upon their political affiliation, very few. Um, The other category that is pretty sparse is gender identity. 
there are surprisingly several states that don't protect people from hate crimes based upon their sexual orientation. Um, gender, again, not, you know, maybe half of the states protect uh, people from being the victims of hate crimes based upon their gender. Um, age is another one that's extremely sparse. And so when you look at that and then you think, well, I now need to rely on uh, the federal government in protecting me against hate crimes. I mean, that's not really the system that you would like to have in place. Ideally, you want to have a situation where even if um, a crime does not rise to the level of gaining federal interest, if it's something that happens to you and it's motivated by hate, that your state laws will protect you. Um, and that the person that did that to you will be receiving a greater penalty than they would had their crime not been motivated by hate. Um, and so that's why I wanted to talk about this today, because I think it's very important to understand that not every state is the same and the federal laws that are that exist aren't necessarily a cure-all for the issues that relate to the um, the holes that exist when it comes to state laws. Um, and so ideally, in a perfect world, we would have legislation in these various states to protect all people from being on the receiving end of hate crimes, and particularly with the rise of hate crimes that we're seeing in this country um, you know, if there were ever an issue that you'd want to get behind and sort of push your local government to um, address, this this would definitely be one of them. In any event, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Um, I think when attacks occur, especially in places of religious worship, it's just so disturbing um, considering the religious freedoms that we supposedly are meant to enjoy in this country uh, people want to be safe when they go to their churches or mosques or synagogues, and it would be um, reassuring to feel that our state governments are really looking out for us and protecting us. Anyway, with respect to Ernest, thus far he has only been charged with murder and three counts of attempted murder in the weekend attack on the Southern California synagogue, uh, but it looks like he I would imagine that the DA's office is looking at the manifesto and any other social media statements that were made by Ernest to see if they can charge him with a hate crime. Uh, there also apparently was um, evidence has come out that Ernest um, attacked a mosque. Uh, there was some arson attack on a mosque that he admitted to. Uh, on one of these websites that he was revealing information on. And so he was charged earlier today with the arson attack on a mosque. Um, and, and we'll just see. I think that, you know, if you look at what happened uh, with respect to the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, it, it seems to me that um, the prosecution will be looking for any documentary evidence or any other evidence otherwise. Um, what I think they are doing is analyzing whether or not they have enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a substantial factor that motivated Ernest in his attack on the synagogue was hate. Uh, so I think they'll be looking at 
his um, statements, whether those are written statements or oral statements, to suggest that he was motivated by hate. I think the manifesto in and of itself is pretty strong evidence. And so I think what we'll be looking to see is whether or not the state prosecutors are going to be charging him with hate crimes, and then whether or not there will be federal charges for hate crimes as well. Um, And so um, I just wanted to talk about this because I think that it's rather confusing when you see um, similar things happen in different parts of the country and the way in which the law treats those things is rather different. Um, And so just to be clear, the fact that this is in California leads me to believe that there's a a pretty strong likelihood that um, this individual will be charged with hate crimes. But again, if this took place in Wyoming, uh, this individual would not be charged with state hate crimes because there are none. And so that's what I wanted to highlight today. And obviously, this is a really horrible situation. The point of this podcast is really to think from a more macro perspective as to how we can curb these incidents from occurring, um, both from a legal perspective in terms of strengthening the laws, and then from a larger perspective in terms of how we can perhaps make it more difficult for social media outlets in allowing these types of speech to occur, um, perhaps also in reporting to the authorities when they are aware of people making um, threats against specific groups of people. Um, that that's a that's kind of a for a different episode, I guess. The discussion as to the responsibility of social media outlets, um, but I do think that uh, dialogue really needs to be taking place as to how we can be uh, preemptive in trying to prevent these things from happening. Um, and obviously, I think the stronger the laws are, the more there is a deterrent. Um, And so that's why I think it's so important to look at these state laws and see what can be done to strengthen them. Anyway, that's today's podcast. If you want to reach out to me to ask me any questions or you want to just discuss what we covered today or any other prior podcast or really any legal issue, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, My email address is thewholetruthpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at thewholetruthpod. Um, I'm on Twitter at the Whole Truth Pod HQ, and I also have a Facebook group, The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig. You can find me on Facebook. And if you have the time uh, and the inclination to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thank you so much, and I look forward to the next one. Take care. Hi there, it's me again. I just wanted to add a little postscript to this episode. Uh, I recorded the episode on Monday morning, April 29th, and later that same day, the DA's office uh, revealed that the three charges that John Ernest faces, so there's one count of murder and the three counts of attempted murder, all of those charges will be uh, viewed as hate crimes. So um, it seems that the DA's office determined that the circumstances warranted the enhanced penalties that will be attached to hate crimes. And so that's great news as far as I'm concerned. I think that it's pretty clear that these were hate crimes. And um, I think that the manifesto and other things that John Ernest said online 
uh, are probably sufficient evidence for the DA's office to feel confident in moving forward with these charges uh, being viewed as hate crimes. And so um, that's where things stand. He's due in court today, uh, Tuesday, April 30th at one o'clock. Um, so we'll see where things go from here. Uh, but I did want to just add that piece of information uh, just because obviously we were analyzing that during this episode. So uh, there you have it. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you in a week. I'll be putting out my next episode on Monday. Thanks.